What is up, everybody? Raymond Summerlin here. It is Wednesday night. We're recording this. By the way, if you're listening to this on podcast, you can watch this live over at the Sharp Football YouTube. Go to youtube.com and then just put in Sharp, Warren Sharp, and it'll take you right to it. Like, subscribe, all that. So it's Wednesday night. It's our last Wednesday night together, Ryan. We're going to talk about some props. We've talked about a lot of props. We've talked about quarterbacks. We've talked about running backs. We've talked about receivers and tight ends. And here we are to do the fun stuff, to do the stuff that gets you onto various sports networks if they hit. And that is the long shot props. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. These these are sometimes even more fun props to, to talk about until, until they all inevitably end up losing. But at this point in the season, it's fun to talk about them. The dreams. I I have a I have a parlay going where I just took like I got like a twenty dollar free bet from somebody. I guess it was DraftKings. And so I just took division winners, all eight division winners. Uh and just, you know, why not? You never you never know. One of these days I might hit eight of eight. I definitely am not going to it this year. But uh yeah, this is fun. Get some long shots in there, get some thirty to ones, get some twenty to ones in there, you know, and have a good time. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're going to talk about long shot props. And that has me happy. And it's good that it has me happy because I have to tell you a sob story, Ryan. Um, About an hour before we got on here, I got an email from the Alumni Association of my high school that announced my 20-year high school (laughs) reunion, which I had successfully blocked out of my brain that that was happening this year. And I I have been in a deep well of despair for about 30 minutes now. And I don't, I need these long shots. I need these long shots to bring me out of it. 20 years. I'm 20 years. I'm, I'm essentially dead is what I'm, is what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> like that's, this is the end, huh? I'm, I'm right there with you at 20 years also. So I know your pain. <laughs> oh, the class of 03. Look at that. Yep. Class of 03 represent. So anyway, those of you out there who are also in your 20 year, you have a bunch of depressed people with you. We're all going to be fine. We're going to make it. We're going to make it to 30 years. We're going to be fine. Before we get into the long shot props, let's talk a little bit about what we have over available over at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Obviously, you can find Ryan's articles over there talking about all the props, like I said, quarterback, running backs, receivers, and then these long shots. You can also find the Sharp Fantasy Football Draft Kit if you have a fantasy football draft this weekend. It's a massive weekend for that. That's over there. You can find the Sharp Football Preview, getting you ready for the NFL season. All of that's over there. And if you're interested in props, you should probably check out the futures package. More futures are being released almost every day. So more futures were released today in the futures package. And if you use the promo code futures50, you can get $50 off of that. So go make sure you check all of that out over at Sharp Football. But let's get to it. Let's get to the action. And I think you were, I think you were trying to curry favor with me with this first one. Uh, I, I believe we've talked about how much I love Justin Herbert this year. And you have come out of the gate swinging with Justin Herbert love. You like Justin Herbert to finish with the most passing yards in the NFL. That is plus 650 over at DraftKings. What do you like so much about this long shot? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's it's partially about value. It's not that he would be my number one choice if I were ranking players, but there's quite a few guys ahead of him. And I think that, you know, looking at how this offense is probably going to shape up, he's in a pretty good position. One of the things, you know, right off the top is that they added Quentin Johnson, which just made the receiving core a little bit deeper, which is obviously one of the issues they had last year with all the injuries. And I know if you listen to last week's podcast, we were sort of dumping on Johnson, uh, as I said, to take the under on his receiving yards. You know, I'm a little bit down on him personally, but he undeniably makes the receiving core deeper. 
it's going to help if an injury goes down. You know, like we talked about last week, the way that we're going to lose that is if, you know, Keenan Allen gets injured and suddenly Quentin Johnson steps in. But that's why he he does make them so much better overall as far as projecting a whole season. If Keenan Allen does go down, that's actually a, the really that's like that's the role for Quentin Johnson. That's where he's going to excel. And so now they've got somebody who's built in to step into that role whereas Josh Palmer you know, we talked about him about last week too. He's more of a downfield guy. He's the guy to step in and take on a bigger role. Mike Williams goes down. So now they've kind of got both those covered. And so I think they've kind of, they, they've, they've set themselves up for the, you know, possibility that one or both of those guys were to go down. They can survive and still have a pretty, uh, a pretty good passing game. I would think the other big factor here is the upgrade from Joe Lombardi to Kellen Moore. And I think that there are some people around the league and maybe this has contributed to uh, this being a fairly deep long shot and also why Justin Herbert's passing yards total is a little bit lower than I expected. I think more people are familiar with Kellen Moore and his offense. The fact that he was in Dallas, bigger market, they get way too much attention, obviously year after year and people sort of have a negative opinion on him, but he's a big upgrade from Joe Lombardi. There's just, there's no doubt about it. And even though one of the things that Kellen Moore detractors would probably bring up, sometimes is that he could he could be more aggressive downfield could have had a more aggressive passing game with Dak Prescott totally true still a lot more aggressive than Joe Lombardi <laughs> the rate of throwing 15 or more yards downfield last year for these two quarterbacks Herbert ranked 25th out of 33 quarterbacks Prescott ranked 13th so yeah you'd like to see Prescott you know jump a little bit higher on that list but man Herbert ranked 25th on that list is just malpractice from Joe Lombardi so Kellmore is not the perfect guy to pair with Herbert probably, but he is much better. And so we think that they've got more insurance. We think that the, with the receiving core, we think that the passing game can be a little bit more aggressive with more. I think that those things shape up for Herbert to probably exceed last year's numbers, which were actually pretty strong considering all the factors working against him. Oh, it's interesting to me. You mentioned that people, you know, with Dak Prescott wanted him to throw down the field more Dak Prescott averaged 8.4. I was looking it up here. Dak Prescott averaged 8.4 air yards per throw under Kellen Moore. And it was a 9.3 yards per throw in the only season they had together before Mike McCarthy showed up in Dallas. And so, you know, that would be an odd criticism of Kellen Moore to me. And it's definitely better than what we saw out of, you know, what they allowed Justin Herbert to do last year. I've mentioned this. I, I can't remember which it episode of this podcast I mentioned this on, but I've, I've read this stat out because it's one of the wildest stats to me. And that is that Justin Herbert averaged 6.42 air yards per attempt last season. That ranked below Jimmy Garoppolo. That ranked below Baker Mayfield. And Matt Ryan was the only qualifying quarterback with a lower average depth of target. That is, as you put it, malpractice. That is absurd that they did that and so i expect them to throw down the field more and as i keep mentioning justin herbert has been really good when he throws down the field on throws of at least 15 yards or more herbert has averaged 13 yards per attempt and an 8.6 percent touchdown rate in his career that would have ranked ninth and ninth among qualifying quarterbacks last season so it's not that he can't do it it's that he hadn't been allowed to do it now they're going to allow him to do it. That plays into the strengths of Mike Williams. You still have Keenan Allen underneath. You have Quinton Johnson, and if he hits, and he's a player we think he can be, he can be a playmaker, he can be a create yards after the catch. This passing game could be really good. And another thing you've brought up a couple times talking about this team is that behind Austin Eckler is not great. I think Joshua Kelly had a he had a good preseason, and Joshua Kelly looks maybe maybe he has improved. 
But if something were to happen to Eckler, you're not going to really like the running game at all. And Eckler's most, a lot of Eckler's value is in the passing game anyway. And so there's a lot set up here for Justin Herbert to, to lead the league in passing. Is he the favorite to do it? Absolutely not. But that's why you're getting 650 on him. And I think that this, this makes a lot of sense. And I actually think it plays into the next one as well, which is Tony Pollard, most rushing yards, which you have as plus 1800 over at FanDuel. And again, would you say if you were just making a list priced irrespective of it, making a list, would you say Tony Pollard would be the guy that's going to lead the NFL in rushing yards? No, of course not. There are lots of names, maybe not lots, but there are several names you would put ahead of him in that list. But if you can get Tony Pollard, the clear lead back on Dallas, who which has not went and got a veteran running back, if you go and look at Tony Pollard that way and say plus 1800, that's pretty good value. Yeah, absolutely. I was surprised that this was priced where it was. I would have expected it to be. Um, I would have expected him to rank much higher on the list of guys there, but there was a pretty long list of names ahead of him. And so this is just really good value. Like you said, he's the clear cut guy there. There's absolutely no real competition for carries. Rico Dowdle and Deuce Vaughn are just not going to play a significant role. So he's Pollard's going to be out Although, there. And we know if I can one- interject here, can, if I can interject here for a second, I don't know if you've gotten to listen to. I live in Texas. I get the Dallas Cowboys broadcasts on TV on the CW of all channels in in my in the San Antonio area. And you you all need to find you someone that loves you like the Cowboys preseason announcers love Deuce Vaughn. They love Deuce Vaughn, and I get it. I love Deuce Vaughn too. Loved him in college. It's such a fun story. But they talked about Deuce Vaughn like he like he was the second coming. It is wild how much they love they love that uh, that guy. So no, maybe maybe they know something about his usage. But I I'm with you. I think it's a little bit doubtful that that's that's where we're headed. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a long shot. And there's things that I like about Donald too. He was a super fun player in college. It's it's been exciting to see him carve out a little bit of a role there. And, you know, I think Dowdle, I'm a little more skeptical of Vaughn. If they were like forced into action, they could be serviceable, but neither one of them are close enough to Pollard to really take carries away in any type of meaningful action. And, you know, the other factor here is we just talked about Kellen Moore leaving for the Chargers, but Brian Schottenheimer steps in to the offensive coordinator role. He's been away from the game for a year, so maybe he's taken that time to alter his approach a little bit, but he did choose to go work for a guy, Mike McCarthy, who is notoriously ultra conservative. So this could be a case of McCarthy moving on from Moore, who potentially was pushing for them to be less conservative. And maybe we'll, you know, we'll find that out this year. That'll be a fun test to see. And maybe going for Brian Schottenheimer because they were more closely aligned. And looking at Brian Schottenheimer's history, I mean, we got to go back pretty far in some cases. So this this could change, but he does have a long track record. And looking at the times that he's had a running back play a full season, it's it's happened five times throughout the course of his career. Every time that lead back has had at least 250 carries, twice going over 300 yards. Those were both Thomas Jones when he was with the Jets. The, the third season of Thomas Jones was 290 yards, so right in that same ballpark. And that's the type of touches that you need to lead the to lead the league in rushing. You're going to need that type of workload, but we know that they want to be conservative. We know that there's no competition for carries. And we know that Schottenheimer has a history of being willing to lean on just one guy for all those carries. So I think there's a lot of factors working in your favor. 
and the line is saying that this is a pretty extreme long shot. So I, I think that just the value is too good to pass up. I think that part about you know, Michigan, I think he has the opportunity to get those carries, which obviously he does. I do think it's worth noting that he he's the kind of running back that doesn't need as many carries, maybe as some of the 300, 320-pound carry backs, just because of how efficient he's been. He has averaged 5.1 yards per carry throughout his career. He said, well, that was on a, you know, that was in kind of a secondary workload. Will it be the same? His carries have increased every single year of, of his career, and that, that yards per carry average has maintained throughout. And so I think that if we're looking at, we're looking at, you know, Pollard and saying, you know, can he maintain this, this efficiency? He can't continue to be efficient with the workload. We don't know for sure, but there's a lot of evidence that, yes, he probably can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen just, you know, in flashes, we've seen how good he can be. And I think that's what was one of the questions with him is, well, he's been super explosive when he's sort of playing second fiddle. He's sort of being used as the explosive running back. So you would expect him to be more explosive when they're putting him into those situations. So the question is, can he do it when he's getting 80% of the touches or whatever it is? Obviously, they were using Ezekiel Elliott a lot in first and second down role, and that's why he was uh, still putting up decent overall numbers last year despite not having you know the uh, necessarily the impact that he was early in his career. When Pollard's getting those touches, can he still be as explosive? I don't know, but it's possible because we've seen how good he can be in a more limited role. And so, you know, just in in the chance in the off chance that he is able to replicate that and he's now going to get potentially 300 carries i, I got to roll the dice on this because if, if he does replicate that with the workload he's going to see he's going to be right up there among the leaders absolutely uh, another moving on to the next one you have you were staying in the division here with dallas you have aj brown to reach 1500 receiving yards that's plus 600 at DraftKings. what do you like about this bet yeah, I mean, we sort of talked about my reasoning on the quarterbacks podcast when we talked about how I liked uh, uh, Jalen Hurts' uh, touchdowns prop because basically as good as the Eagles were last year, he was uh, they, they were they can't be that dominant again. We think that they're going to be just as talented. They they're just as much of a threat to win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl again but they can't dominate to the same degree that they did week in and week out. They had a league high 58 drives while they were leading by 10 points or more. That was 31% of their total drives. That's obviously going to affect your play calling. So even if you just have maybe two or three games or a little bit closer than they were last year, it's probably going to increase the passing volume for Brown. And so I think that there's a really good chance that he basically comes out, you know, Everything is exactly the same, more or less. But just because there's a couple of games more closely, the game scripts don't go quite to the same extreme degree in their favor that they did last year, that he actually improves upon last year's number and can hit this and can hit over 1,500, which he came really close to. And this is something that we've been bringing up on the fantasy side a lot is what you're talking about there. Just they didn't have to throw in the second half. And if they have to throw in the second half this year, that's going to be good for A.J. Brown. It's going to be good for Devonta Smith. It's going to be good for Jalen Hurts because they're just going to have to throw more. And I have some numbers for that. Hurts was 23rd among all quarterbacks in second half dropbacks, 31st in fourth quarter dropbacks. I've said this stat before, but again, it's another one of these wild stats to me. 
he had fewer fourth quarter dropbacks than Joe Flacco, who played five games. So Jalen Hurts didn't have to throw in the fourth quarter. Brown was targeted 84 times in the first half last season, which was fourth among wide receivers. He was targeted 61 times in the second half of games, which was 19th among wide receivers. If they just have to play in the second half, they're going to increase their passing numbers. Like it really is, it really is that simple. And so if you're trying to think about, you know, props for for Hertz, if you're trying to think about props for Brown or Devontae Smith, I think you can pretty safely assume that they're going to have more passing volume. Will the efficiency stay there? Will they be as efficient as an offense at scoring converting yardage into touchdown? There are some red flags there. But I think that volume-wise, they're probably going to have to throw more, and that's great news for A.J. Brown to reach this number. Yeah, absolutely. And those red flags that you mentioned actually could help us in a prop like this because it's going to lead to games being a little bit closer. So in you know, there are certain ways in which you can say that's sort of a red flag in terms of how their season is going to play out. But I think that when we're looking specifically at some of these yardage props, I think it it really works in our favor because it's going to push some of these scores a little bit closer than they were last year. And maybe a little bit of luck played out over the course of the season to extend some of those leads beyond what they probably should be. Yeah, absolutely. Remember that if you're like this, if you're interested in betting on props, we have a futures package over at Sharp Football. You can go and check that out. We adding to it, like I said, we added four more today on Wednesday. So there, we've been adding to it uh, all off season. We're going to keep adding to it, even throughout the season. There'll be some futures bets added to it. So go and check that out. Also, if you're listening to this on the podcast, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube and search Warren Sharp, and you will find our YouTube channel. We're going live with these podcasts. We're going to have live broadcasts all throughout the season. We're going to have one on Sunday right after the afternoon games are finished, talking about the injuries, talking about the waiver wire, talking about everything you want to talk about for answering questions, everything you want to talk about about NFL Sunday. So make sure you go to the YouTube channel. All right, let's move on to Bryce Young. You, you, I've noticed throughout this whole thing, it's funny because you are the draft expert. You study these guys so much. You know so much about all of these players. You're the person I come to and I need to ask you a question about Sean Tucker. We might have a conversation about him uh, <laughs> after, the, after the podcast goes off. R- remind me that I need to ask you some questions about him. But then we come to this season. We come to, we come to the props here in the preseason and you seem to be universally down on all of all of the rookies that it continues with Bryce Young who you like to throw the most interceptions this year which is plus 3000 at DraftKings. Why do you hate rookies? I guess that's my question. <laughs> there's as much as I love watching the rookies play, I think there's way too much optimism. They're the shiny new toys. So every fan base is excited and thinks that their rookie is going to be awesome and a lot of them will be eventually usually not right out of the gate. So the the lines, especially early, they are almost always way too high. I mean, I think rookie lines, I've never studied this, but I would imagine that rookie lines <laughs> fall far more from when they first come out to, you know, close to week one than they, than for other players, because there's just, there's way too much optimism right out of the gate. We always talk about, oh, the, you know, this guy, Sky Moore is going to come in and change the Chiefs offense. He's the guy. And then, you know, week 10 rolls around and we still have why would you stick that knife in <laughs> why would you why would you just gouge me with the sky more knife any you could have picked any it's we could have picked anyone it's a such a long list and it's not even and it's not even but it's not just the busts that i'm talking about obviously there's going to be a few busts some guys are going to get opportunities and fail 
But even the guys that are gonna, that end up being really good are just they're not they're going to pick up the playbook a little bit slower. They're not going to get quite as many opportunities. They're going to make some silly rookie mistakes, and it's going to cost some opportunities. And then over, over the next two or three games, that's and it just happens to almost all of them. Now with this one in particular, I was surprised that this line was as long as it was. It was at 300 to one. I was fortunate enough to get it at that. And it has, at least the last I looked, it had dropped at DraftKings to 201. So it seems like I was not the only one to uh, catch on to the mistake there. Because if you have a rookie who's going to play a full season, he's going to be in the mix. <laughs> like there's just rookies usually don't lead the league in interceptions, but it's because they don't play. If he does play a full season, they're going to be in the mix, just like Trevor Lawrence led the league uh, a couple of years ago. By year two, Lawrence was a heck of a lot better. But in year one, you know, rookies are bad. It's just <laughs> they're, they're almost all bad. In fact, over the last 20 years, there have been 16 rookie quarterbacks to start at least 16 games. 15 of those guys threw double-digit interceptions. Dak Prescott was the only one who didn't. I mean, if you're a rookie and you're playing, you're going to throw interceptions. You're going to be in the at least in the hunt for that interception crown. And I think that Young maybe have a even better chance than a lot of rookies because a lot of times rookies come in and they dial the offense back, try to keep things pretty simple. And I think that this coaching staff might be willing to be a little bit more aggressive and that potentially is bad for Young in the short term. It might be great for him in the long term to just say like, go out there, make all the mistakes this year. And if you throw 20 interceptions, we don't care. That could be, you know, I, I might almost recommend that strategy. It could be great for his development. But I, I think that they might have that mindset because we've seen, we know a lot more about Frank Reich, first of all, the head coach, and about Thomas Brown, their offensive coordinator. But Reich, it was talked about a lot leading up to the draft in, in terms of how we were actually thinking that maybe he wouldn't want Bryce Young because he's a little bit more of a, a quarterback who throws underneath, doesn't have a massive arm, throwing downfield, both in terms of arm strength and accuracy. Definitely the weakness um, on his scouting report. But we've seen Reich be aggressive, even with quarterbacks who are struggling to throw downfield before. In fact, he was with Carson Wentz as a rookie, and we saw Wentz throw 14 interceptions. It didn't lead the league, but if you're throwing 14 interceptions, again, you're, you're in the hunt. And that's, you know, at this long shot prop, basically they're saying that he's not even going to be in the hunt. And I just, I think that's wrong. Also, Reich was with Phillip Rivers when Rivers led the league in interceptions. Obviously, Rivers was a guy who, that was that was his MO. Like he was going to take shots and he was going to throw some interceptions and he was going to live with that. And so the fact that he and Wright got along so well, obviously they teamed up again in Indy. I think that probably is a little bit more insight into Wright that he's also sort of has that Philip Rivers mindset. So yeah, let's be aggressive. We're going to make some mistakes and we'll make up for it in other ways. Thomas Brown, we know less about him, but he was in Los Angeles when Stafford led the league in interceptions two years ago. And that was definitely what the Rams mindset seemed to be that year was, yeah, we're going to make some mistakes, but we're really good. And, you know, we're, we're going to live with that. We're going to try to make up for it elsewhere. If they try to do that, if they try to throw downfield a decent amount this year, Young is going to make some mistakes because he was making some mistakes even in college. As good as he was, that was where he did make his mistakes. So this is, I, th I think this has the potential. I mean, I, I just love this value. I think he really does have a very realistic chance. And where, where it was priced at 300 to one, I mean, those odds are so long shot. They're basically saying you that he, to you that he's not in the mix and i think he should be right near among the top three or four guys most likely to lead the league in interceptions yeah i mean it is 30 to one i i think i tried to do the math real quick in my Th head 30. <laughs> yeah 30 to one i was like 300 all right anyway uh to further to, to further your point um 
the I got this straight off of Warren Sharp. Warren Sharp's been writing for Sharp Football Analysis. Another reason to go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. And he was writing about some of the preseason trends. And this was just kind of a throwaway line, but it stuck with me, is that Bryce Young had the highest rate of 15-plus yard throws among all starting quarterbacks in the preseason, 38% of his throws, which points to kind of what you're saying. That, I mean, I guess that's a little odd to me because I guess two of their top three pass catchers will be Adam Thielen and Hayden Hurst, right? So, I mean, I guess you do have DJ Chark there. I guess we'll see what Jonathan Mingo turns into. But yeah, like that really does point to this, that they are they do want to push the ball down the field with him. We know that Frank Reich will do that. Um, I think that Frank Reich's a pretty good offensive coach still you know it didn't go the quarterback roulette did not uh did not go well in in indy but i still think he's a pretty good coach so i yeah i think that they might just let him they might just let him go say hey make your mistakes we're probably not going to win the division this year especially since the saints are actually starting they actually looked pretty good their offense actually looks pretty good so you know we're probably not going to win the division go and make your mistakes and then you know we'll go from there which makes a lot of sense the last prop you had in your in your article and the last one of yours we're going to talk about i have some i have some that you're going to get to critique but the last one of yours we're going to talk about is a prop that i have literally nothing to say about i have not i did not think about it one bit normally i make some type of notes i've had nothing to say about this it's such an interesting bet i i was fascinated by your rationale for it. I, it you you convinced me on it with your rationale and that is greg joseph longest field goal plus 1100 over at Bet MGM. What lay out some of the rationale? The schedule stuff you did blew my mind. I was like, <laughs> we're getting deep into the weeds here with the kicker. Yeah, I love this one. These are some of my favorite bets, the ones that are a little bit off radar. Because if you talk to any football fan, even casual football fans, about who's going to lead the league in rushing or receiving or whatever, some someone can put together an argument for for a realistic player, right? Like anybody can be like, oh, Jalen Hurts because whatever. Then there's these types of props where, yeah, some people might be able to realistically say, oh, Greg Zerline or uh, Justin Tucker and throw a name out there. But then then ask them to name a third one. And they who's got the who's got the third strongest leg in the league? I, I'm not I don't think I could necessarily could say with a ton of confidence because I was surprised to come up with Greg Joseph's name for this prop. But I love these props. I love digging into them because I do think that there can be a little bit of edge an edge here because the general public does not have a strong take on it. There's probably not a lot of money placed on this prop, which probably means the odds makers spent a little bit less time setting really strong lines here. And so maybe we can find a little, find one that has some pretty good value. And I think I settled on one that I like a lot with Greg Joseph. First of all, he had a 61 yard field goal last year in most, you know, in a lot of years, that's going to be the longest field goal. It was the second longest last year. I believe it was Justin Tucker who beat him out last year but obviously he's, he's capable of doing it if we've see, already seen him hit the 61 yarder that's our proof of concept right there but not only is he capable of doing that but he got a lot of opportunities which is probably even more important he had five opportunities to hit a field goal over 55 yards last year the only other players who had those meant that many opportunities were tucker and zerline the two big name big leg hickers out there so he has a lot of confidence from his coaching staff and that's really important. If they're in one of these situations, they're going to give him a shot to hit a 62, 63 yarder. And that leads me to the schedule portion that you mentioned where they play is obviously a factor here. Playing in a dome helps you. <laughs> so he's got right off the bat, they've got nine home games this year. That's uh, 
or he, I'm sorry, he's got, I believe, eight home games. Eight home games. He's got 11 total games in a dome. <laughs> he's got his home games. He plays at Detroit, at Las Vegas, at Atlanta. So that sets him up pretty nicely to regularly be kicking in an environment where there's no weather factor what, whatsoever. On top of that, he's got a game at Denver this season, which is the best place to kick as long as the winds aren't swirling too much in that thin air up in Denver. Obviously, Denver kickers are, are always uh, among the league leaders and hitting long field goals as long as they got a decent guy there. So th- the schedule just shapes up so perfectly for them when you've got a, a guy who is already clearly has the trust of his coaching staff, has already hit a, a 60 yarder last year to enhance that confidence from his coaching staff. And then the schedule just shapes up great to have a bunch of extra games beyond the home games where he's uh, in a, in a positive kicking environment just means that, you know, basically two thirds of the season, he's going to be in an environment where kicking a 62 yarder is realistic. It's, it's, it's the most in-depth kicker analysis I've heard this side of Diddy Carter, uh, my former colleague over at NBC, Diddy Carter. I hope you're doing well, Diddy. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed the last five minutes of, of kicker talk. Uh, but yeah, no, it all makes sense. Like it all makes complete sense. You've had me sold on it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might be betting on a kicker, which <laughs> I don't feel great about it, but it's, it makes sense. Like getting into those markets, you're right. Getting into the markets where the lines aren't as sharp, where everybody doesn't have a strong opinion on it is a great way to make money. The, the difficulty about mm-hmm. betting on NFL sides is that that's the, those are the sharpest lines maybe in the world, NFL sides. And so if you want to really you know, get in and start making money, that's why props do well. That's why all this kind of stuff does well. The lines aren't as sharp. You can get in there. And this one, you know, it's, it's a really interesting bet. I, I liked it a lot. All right, let's get into mine. I'm, I'm here for your criticism. And one of the places I, find, I think there's value is looking at expected touchdowns. So that's something that's big in the fantasy football space where you take someone's usage and you apply a an expected touchdown number to it. If they get a carry on their own 15-yard line, the expected touchdown result of that play is very small. If they get a they get a carry on the 1-yard line, the the opposing 1-yard line, obviously the expected touchdown is very large. And so if you just add those up over the course of a season and look at it, you say, "Okay, what was this player's expected touchdown total?" And I think if you look at the the situations where there's a large gap between the expected touchdown total and the actual touchdown total, you can find some values in the most touchdowns market. You can find some values in in over-unders as well, but you know those aren't long shots, so that's why I'm not talking about it, but you can really find some value in that. I'm actually using PFF's expected fantasy point model, which I think is really great. I think it's probably one of the better ones out there. It's a free plug there for PFF. And I'm looking at kind of players, identifying players, who are in situations that might be a little undervalued. And one of those is Joe Mixon, which actually kind of hurts me a little bit because Joe Mixon, and I've said this this offseason before, was not good last year. I think that that's pretty clear to say that he was not good last year. However, he's on a very good offense. He is the unquestioned lead back, especially now that Samaj P. Ryan is gone. And his usage last year was amazing. He He had the third most expected rushing touchdowns in the league behind Jamal Williams, who obviously led the league, and then Jalen Hurts. And we've already kind of talked a little bit about Jalen Hurts, maybe throwing more than running. We've talked about how they had the lowest drop back rate, true drop back rate in the red zone, like that Rich could ever, Rich Rebar could ever find. So, you know, there are some reasons to expect that, you know, Jalen Hurts rushing touchdown totals will come down as well. And so Mixon already last year had that. 
He only played 14 games. So even in 14 games, he had the third most expected rushing touchdowns. And like you look at all of this, and I think that he's being undervalued at plus 2,500 to lead the league in rushing touchdowns. What do you think? Yeah, this totally makes sense to me. I mean, the big factor, it's it's a similar backfield situation to what we talked about with uh, Tony Pollard. Like there's just no yeah. way that he's not the, clip, the the guy there. They really made no changes to still have Trayvon Williams and Chris Evans there and you know they added obviously drafted chase brown but with a fifth round pick the fact that you know maybe he emerges maybe maybe he does become a you know a factor there but the fact that they waited until the fifth round to draft running back shows that they still have a lot of confidence and mix it that was not a priority for them that was more of a best available player type of approach at that point so yeah i think that totally makes sense the other factor here that i like is he he's getting up there in age 27 years old right now i believe he has two years remaining on his contract but structured in a way that if they decide to get out if after this year they absolutely could so we're nearing the end of the joe mixon era in cincinnati either this year or next year as long as he's performing relatively well they've got no reason not to just run this bus into the ground and you know if it's going well you know ride it out and try to win a super bowl with him this year and just don't worry about the future because you might be moving on after this year anyway based on the contract situation. So, yeah, without any competition, with plenty of reason for them to just lean heavily on him in the run game, absolutely makes sense. And this is actually a win. I'm glad you brought up Chase Brown. This is just a uh, this is just a I'm going to win either way kind of situation because I have Chase Brown on so many best ball mania spots. <laughs> so if Chase Brown turns into the lead back in Cincinnati, I'll lose this one, but, you know, I'll get it. I'll get it back on the back end. Another person to look at for touchdowns and I we don't need to really talk about this one it makes a ton of sense but he also plus 2500 which is surprising I think it has something to do with Jameer Gibbs being in Detroit but as we've talked about with Jameer Gibbs being getting carries around the goal line it's not really his forte uh, Joe Mixon was tied for third in the league in goal to go carries with 22 last season that was uh 16 fewer goal to go carries than Jamal Williams got last season the guy who's now in Jamal Williams role is david montgomery i that makes a lot of sense at, at plus 2500 but let's move on to the the receivers another guy that went well under his total was expected total was dk metcalf dk metcalf was fourth among all players last year and expected receiving touchdowns despite finishing with just six and this is a stat that i was kind of shocked by dk metcalf led the league with 23 end zone targets last season the next closest player was Devontae Adams with 18. I've kind of been on record as looking at thinking that G- what Geno Smith did last year was not really that fluky. And I know, you know, some stuff you know, down the stretch, it wasn't as good. But like I keep saying, if you look back at his 2021, his, you know, his reps that he got, his snaps that he got back then, the efficiency numbers look pretty much the same. That's two years in a row. He did the, basically the same thing. I don't think it's a fluke. I think the Seattle passing game is going to continue to be good especially so once Jackson Smith and Jigba gets back. And the other thing about DK Metcalf that I like for this is his usage has developed. His usage has changed. Last year, he was really used as a full field receiver, and that's going to give him not just end zone targets, deep end zone targets. That's going to give him end zone targets closer there to the goal line, which obviously you're going to like his chances of scoring there a little bit better. So I I think DK Metcalf, you know, he is plus 2,500 at DraftKings and FanDuel for this. He's definitely a long shot. I would not, he would not be first on my list of people to catch the most touchdowns, but I think you're getting a lot of value there on a player that went way under his expected touchdown total last year. 
Yeah, this totally makes sense to me. I mean, first off, targeting any big receiver who gets end zone targets is always like a good place to start. So that's like a really obvious starting point. But also the reason this line is where it is, is we, we've talked about this with a few different players over the past couple of weeks. Sometimes when someone gets added to the offense, sort of everyone else's expectations get lowered a little bit. And I think the opposite is true. Like adding Jackson Smith and Jigba and Zach Charbonnet makes the offense better, which means more scoring opportunities, not fewer. So yeah, if Metcalf, if just like the percentage of touchdowns gets divvied up a little bit differently, which obviously just with a bit of luck from season to season, it always does get divvied up differently. He could absolutely have a, very, a similar usage. The offense is a little bit better and some of the touchdowns just skyrockets this year, even without much changing for him. And so, yeah, I, I totally think this makes sense. The last one I had, the last long shot I had, I wanted to give a defensive rookie of the year. As soon as the defensive rookie of the year odds came out for some reason in, in May, for some reason, I looked pretty deeply into them and I, I was like, oh, you know, I li really like this market. I think it's a very interesting market. And three of the last four years, it's been an edge rusher. And I think if you look at the edge rushers in this class, one name stands out to me, and that's Tyree Wilson. And Tyree Wilson stands out to me. He's plus 1,000 to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. That number has been falling. It was plus 600 about two weeks ago, so it's possible that I am on the wrong side of this movement. It's possible that I'm, I'm going to look like a fool. He came back for the final preseason game, so I'm now less worried about his injury. He might be limited to start the season, but he has so many things working in his favor in that he's going to a team that has Max Crosby. He's he's definitely not going to be, even if he's just a situational pass rusher, when he's on the when he's on the field, he's not going to be the focus of, of the offensive line when Max Crosby is there. They also have Chandler Jones, but Chandler Jones is getting older. He wasn't as effective last year. Maybe he is better suited for the situational role and we get to see more snaps from Tyree Wilson as he settles in and as he gets healthier. And if Tyree Wilson gets, I think he's a good player. You know, he had a really good pass rush snap in the preseason for whatever that's worth. But if he gets 10 sacks, like he's, he probably wins this thing. Right. And I think that that's well within the realm of possibility for, for Tyree Wilson. But I had another name and I actually brought this up to you. I was kind of going back and forth. Another name I had was Emmanuel Forbes. And I think if I remember correctly, you would have been more interested in Forbes at plus 1600. Is that true? I think they're both, uh, given where they're priced, I think they're both totally legit bets to place. And, you know, taking both of them is, you know, totally reasonable given where they're priced. With Wilson, the Chandler, I mean, you brought up Chandler Jones. That's really the concern I have is that we just don't quite know how those roles are going to be divvied up. And if Chandler Jones has, you know, another decent year left in him, I certainly wouldn't be shocked by that. And that's obviously going to diminish uh, Wilson's numbers because they're, I, seems pretty clear that he's being groomed into, they're trying to make him the next Chandler Jones. And he's, he's well suited for that. I think that's a really great strategy on their part. So that's, that's my concern there with Forbes. He's going to start and he's going to play almost every step, I would think. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of competition unless it just goes, the transition goes really poorly for him. But I, I don't think it will. This looks like it should be a, a pretty decent commander's defense. And so I think he has enough support around him that he should play reasonably well. The reason why I'm relatively high on his odds here, even though we don't see a ton of cornerbacks enter the rookie of the year conversation, is you, always, you need interceptions. You either need to be like absolutely 
no doubt about it, the best rookie in the league, like Sauce Gardner, or you need to put up some interceptions. And I think Forbes has the potential to, even if he sort of has some rookie ups and downs, he could put together a season, not quite on this level, but sort of in the realm of Trevon Diggs a couple of years ago when he had just those crazy interception numbers. Some of the other numbers, you know, were a little questionable in terms of his overall performance. He was giving up a lot of big plays in Dallas, but if you get interceptions, you're going to get you know, that's, that's valuable. You know, even if you're giving up big plays, it might not be sustainable, but it's valuable. And so you're going to win awards like Diggs did a couple of years ago. And Forbes certainly could his just to throw out a stat to back this up. I, I mentioned a lot of route adjusted stats when talking about rookies. I don't think I've brought it up on this podcast yet the past couple of weeks. I'll just explain it real briefly. It just looks at routes for either receivers or cornerbacks where you were targeted and what the average numbers are. So like, for Forbes, if he's targeted on a slant route, you don't expect a ton of plays on the ball in that situation. But if you're targeted on a go route, much easier for a quarterback to get up there and make a play on the ball. So his route adjusted ball hawk rate was 49.8% above expected when defending the most common NFL routes, the curl, dig, drag, flat, out, slant, the, the routes that you know we see about 70% of the time in the NFL. That's a huge number. And so this is obvious. This is a skill set that is sustainable. The guy, we typically see this number. There's fluctuation from year to year, but if you're in high positive numbers here, you're going to continue to to maintain positive ball hawk rate numbers year after year. So it definitely looks like he's going to be the type of cornerback who gets interceptions over the course of the year. And it, you know, to get six or seven requires some luck, but he's the type of guy who could take advantage of that luck and actually produce a number like that. Yeah, and that's absolutely the reason. Like he has the he has the, like you're mentioning, he has the profile of someone who's going to get the numbers to get recognized because um, he's not Sauce Gardner, right? But we probably don't have a Sauce Gardner, although you, you might disagree with that with that Patriots corner, right? I know you love, I know you I love I do him. like Christian Gonzalez, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we probably don't have a Sauce Gardner. And so you're just looking for stats and, you know, he has that, that profile. Can I give you a really wild one that I just found today? I was updating the odds articles over at Sharp Football Analysis. By the way, we have all the odds out there. I update them every week. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, MVP, Super Bowl odds, all available over at sharpfootballanalysis.com. And I found a wild one that I am suddenly kind of interested in. And you're going to laugh at this one. It is Clayton Toon plus <laughs> 10,000, 100 to 1 to be the Offensive Rookie of the Year. He isn't he the favorite to start week one for this team? And like, they have no reason to bring back Kyler Murray, push back Kyler Murray. Could Clayton Toon just like start for the entire season for the Cardinals? Is that something that we're just not even considering as a possibility that might be like a real possibility? It's absolutely a possibility that he starts the whole season. I think I, I brought it up when I released my way too early mock draft back in May when it gave the Cardinals the number one pick. And I was like, Kyler Murray might not play. They might, you know, they could easily just tank the season and come up with an excuse, extend the injury way beyond a hundred percent possible at that. I hadn't seen that number at that much of a long shot to take a chance on a guy who could potentially start every game. Yeah. Why? I mean, why wouldn't you throw a little something on that at that much of a long shot? Cause he could put up decent, if he's just starting every game, even if the, the expectations are so low, if he does start every game, even if they win, like, four or five games and he puts up as long as he doesn't throw like 25 interceptions or something like that he's going to get votes i know that for sure if he just brock purdies like mm -hmm. he 
their their team's not that good, and so it's not gonna you know it's not gonna happen. But like if he just Brock Purdy's and is fine and starts enough games, and Bryce Young throws twenty interceptions, and the Texans don't do well, anything. and they're gonna have to throw a lot. They're gonna be exactly. bad, so they're gonna have to throw a lot. Which you know, like Carolina, Carolina could potentially because that division is so bad, they might not be terrible, and so maybe that suppresses Young's numbers. You know, Houston maybe you know maybe they're a little bit better. That's not a stellar division either like maybe they're a little bit better and that suppresses young's numbers arizona's gonna be awful so yeah. he could potentially put up some pretty gaudy passing and and decent touchdown numbers and so yeah it's the kind of bet you put 20 dollars down to win 2000 so yeah I, it's the kind of bet that like it's not gonna like is it gonna win almost certainly not but you could at least you could at least make a case for him at those odds which is not true in these you look at those kind of odds on like in the Super Bowl, that's basically the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl odds. You yeah. I mean, maybe you could make a case for the Bucs winning the Super Bowl. I cannot make a case for the Bucs winning the Super Bowl. So to get those type of odds for a player that you can somewhat make a case for, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. And uh yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that one. That's it for us. This is we're done with props. Next week we actually have football games to talk about. It's going to be wild. You're going to be back next week on Thursday night talking to Todd Burrows about uh, prop bets, talking about DFS. Make sure you check that out. Next week, we're going to have showdown lineups with Rich and I talk fantasy. We're going to have our recap after week one of the regular season. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to us on the podcast a network of your choice, and we will see you for week one of the NFL season.